All right, welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. A big show headed your way today, as I just said. Vivek Ramaswamy is here. We're going to cover a lot of ground with him. I want to talk to him about his campaign, where he goes from Iowa, what the winning strategy is. Will he be Donald Trump's vice president? Would he accept that? Then we're going to break it all down with Chris Stagall. You know him, our favorite radio host in Philadelphia, and Tony Katz from the Tony Katz Show. They're going to be here, both be here to help break it down. We'll talk about everything that's going on in the campaign policy-wise. Let's bring in Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek, good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. It's good to be on, man. All right. So I know your time is tight. I want to first cover some political strategy, and then I want to get to some policy stuff because President Biden is meeting with Xi Jinping, and I'm sure you'll have some thoughts on that. First, just walk me through, as I've sort of gone through each of the campaigns with our viewers before, what is your strategy to the nomination, right? You got to get X number of delegates. How in are you on, say, Iowa as a must-do-really-well state? Well, look, I think I'm set up pretty well going into those early states. I think I need to exceed expectations in those two states. And, And the good news is because everybody else has been spending tons of money on airwaves, but actually have not. So far, that's changing now. We're going to be in a position to beat expectations in Iowa and New Hampshire. Top three in both those states, I think, will automatically exceed those expectations. And then that puts me in a position to ultimately get to the nomination because pretty soon, Sean, I think this is going to come down to two America First candidates. I mean, there's no other way in the Republican nomination for somebody who's coming from the Dick Cheney ghost of the past that they're trying to prop up in the form of, you know, pick your favorite puppet of choice. I think that the right path forward is going to be an America first candidate. And then we'll have a real choice that the voters face. Do you want an America first leader from the last generation? Yes. Who has experience, who's tried and true, who I respect. That's Donald Trump. Or do you want an America first leader that can lead the next generation with fresh legs, reuniting the next generation of Americans, reviving national pride? And I think that'll be a choice for the voters. So, so I just if Trump's the clear. nominee, I'll support him. And I expect the same if I'm if I'm the nominee as well. Right. And I just want to make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth. If you don't get in the top three in Iowa, New Hampshire, you don't see a viable path forward. Is that an accurate reflection of what you said? I think we need to be in the top three in one of those two states. I think that that's absolutely fair. But in either of those cases, we'll significantly shatter the expectations for an outsider like me coming in, especially relative to how much super PAC money is propping up the other candidates. I'm not, I mean, I'm not supported at that same level if you just look at the numbers. And so the fact that that will be grassroots driven in my case, just me, the hundreds of thousands of small dollars supporters and voters across this country lifting that up, yes, that alone will then give us the momentum to then go the distance after that. So in the first debate, I woke up the next morning and you were trending everywhere online. And I think not only online, but the Today Show, Good Morning America. I was flipping through the channels. They were all talking about your performance then. Likewise, you got a lot of attention after that third debate. But when I look at both the polls nationally, which I don't put a lot of stock in, just so we're clear, but the Iowa polls right now have you at about 4.7%. Based on the performance that you've had and the reaction that you've had online, where do you think, or do you think there is a disconnect between the polling and what you're seeing on the ground in Iowa and New Hampshire? Huge disconnect. Actually, most of the people who are coming to our events and in our network say they haven't participated in an Iowa caucus for a very long time, if ever at all. They don't get polled. Okay. So I think that, again, is another reason why we're going to be in a position to deliver a big positive surprise that will shock the system. And I think that's on track to happening. 
People they call are a lot of them for those landline surveys are people who still have landlines sitting at home aren't actually being reached by the way that I'm mostly reaching people, which isn't through cable news advertisements, but through new media, through actual direct grassroots events and otherwise. So I think we're going to be in a position to over deliver expectations. We're exactly where we want to be in some sense, Sean. Okay. One of the guys who's running Iowa for me is the guy who ran Rick Santorum's state efforts. And another one of our guys on our team ran his national campaign. Santorum was behind where I am right now in the same time at Thanksgiving as of that time. He was polling less than where I am now. He won the Iowa caucus. Now, in Rick's case, he didn't have independent resources to be able to go further. And so he wasn't ready for that success. We will be. But okay. I think that's the kind of race we're going to run. You've heard me talk about my friends at Delta Rescue. The owner of Delta Rescue, I've gotten to know, his name is Leo Grillo. And he was on a road trip not too long ago and came across a Doberman. Now, the dog was severely underweight, clearly in, in trouble, malnutritioned. Um, Leo rescued that dog and ended up naming him Delta, uh, which inspired him to start Delta Rescue, which I've talked to you about. You can go to deltarescue.org and check out all the wonderful work that they do, the sanctuary that they are, the, the things that they do for these abandoned dogs. Um, they are the largest in the world now, by the way, as a sanctuary, veterinary care, um, nutrition, a, a place to run and play for life. But Leo, when he named it Delta, it was a he, it was an acronym. Dedication and everlasting love to animals. And that's who he is. When you meet him, he just exudes a love and a care and a concern for animals. And part of what he wants to do with Delta Rescue is make this an enduring thing. And so if you not just go there and make a contribution, which is welcome, but if you speak to your estate planner and Think about estate-saving planning benefits that would make animal care part of your permanent estate plan. You can grow your estate while you're alive and ultimately make sure that these um, the mission of Delta Rescue is, is part of your estate and so that we can continue that great mission. So go to deltarescue.org. You'll see a section about estate planning and the forms are there. It makes it super simple, deltarescue.org. So the RNC has set the threshold for this next coming debate on December 6th at 6%. Uh, regardless of the amount of grassroots support that you're truly getting, the polls in Iowa right yeah, now- Yeah, I've qualified. I've qualified for you that. You did? Okay. Yep. All right. So you have talked about that the last debate, you called out Romner, Ronna uh, McDaniel, uh, you've called the RNC corrupt. What, what do you want to see happen at the national party? And why, of all the things that you've talked about, because you've gone after woke capital, you've gone after China, why, why focus on the party, if you will? Do you think that there's enough residents there in terms of what voters want to hear about? Or do you think that that's, because that seems to be a shift for me yeah. from policy. Well, I think that, I think you said it, Sean, is of all the people I've gone after, I go after everybody 360 degrees. I mean, on that same debate stage, I called for Biden to step aside as the nominee because I think it's dishonest. He's not going to be the nominee. Tell the truth. I called out probably in a way that no Republican candidate has. I called out Kristen Welker from NBC News to her face. I turned the question back on her, told her to answer for lying about the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that never was. So I'm unsparing across the board, woke corporations on down. China and otherwise, I, I'm 360 degrees honest. But what I'm not going to do is somehow spare the failures in the managerial class of the Republican Party because that's not speaking the truth. And so included in that list for me is accountability within the Republican Party. I'm against affirmative action. I'm the hardest line conservative who has said I would end affirmative action because I believe in meritocracy. The best person should get the job. How can I possibly preach that to the rest of this country when it is glaringly obvious that we don't put the best person in the job to run our own party? 
Ronna McDaniel taking over in 2017. We lose in 2018, 2020, disaster in 2022 and 2023. And yet that's still the same person who's in charge, whose salary has tripled in the meantime over that period. Give me a break. So unlike other candidates, and, and it's worth people understanding this, I was the only person on that stage or off that stage who's willing to take actual filters off to speak the truth 360 degrees about the likes of Ronna McDaniel and the RNC leadership. It's the truth. Our grassroots base can see it. It's, it's telling that I'm the only person who's actually willing to step up and say it. And so I do think that that adds something valuable here for someone of a different generation coming in. It's why I'm in this race. And I do think that I'm not, it's not that I'm focused only on her, Sean, to the contrary. It would be, I would be a hypocrite if I'm talking about everything else I'm talking about, holding everybody else accountable while playing with kid gloves with the RNC, and I'm not going to do that. So Tim Scott dropped out this week, Mike Pence just before that. Is your campaign in any way making a play for those voters? And if so, what's the message? My message is for all voters, right? So I'm not playing the game of political snakes and ladders. My message is that it's going to take someone from the outside with fresh legs that's able to reach the next generation of Americans. That's the, that's the hard truth. And I'm the only candidate in this race who can do that. For a long time, the Republican Party has been running from something. Now is our moment to actually start running to something. I'm an America First conservative. I'm all in for America First. But to put America First, we have to rediscover what America is. What are those founding ideals? Meritocracy, free speech, open debate, self-governance over aristocracy, the rule of law. That's why I've said I would use our own military to seal our own borders. And I say that as the kid of legal immigrants to this country. That's not racist. That's not xenophobic. That's what it means to be an American. And so I think Tim Scott did probably among most of the field have an optimistic vision, but he didn't really hit optimism. But he didn't never really articulated what that vision was. I applaud him for that optimistic spirit. For me, I'm a little different. I don't come around and just say, hey, it's morning in America again, because it's not. We're in the middle of a war for the identity of this country, but it can be morning in America again. And that's where I'm leading us. And so, yes, I do think a lot of those Tim Scott voters that were looking for that optimism can find a more realistic version of that optimism to say it can be morning in America. I think that's more truthful. And I think many of them can find a home in our movement, but it's not just them. It's America first conservatives across the board. And as I remind people, America first does not belong to one man, right? It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Trump. It didn't belong to Reagan. So I want to touch it belongs on, to you, the people of this country. Yeah, I, I want to touch on policy for a second. In an effort to rein in government, you've talked about uh, on day one or day two, cutting the size of the federal workforce by basically saying to everybody who's got, I believe, I just want to get this right, if your social security number ends in an odd number, they would lose their job. First and foremost, uh, what, what does your social security number end in? Well, this would be for all unelected bureaucrats. <laughs> and actually, I, I wanted to be, and I, I just picked it at random. Mine ends in an odd number. But it's anybody who's unelected, who right. is not elected to their position, because that's not accountable to the people. And Sean, I want to explain to people, this isn't a glib proposal, actually. This comes from a deep understanding of the laws. Every Republican president who's ever run has always talked about reigning in the size of the federal bureaucracy, firing federal right. bureaucrats. Never happens. Not even a little bit. Why? They tell them the civil service rules. I mean, this is what stopped Trump, so what stopped even Reagan. They say the civil service rules stop you from firing federal bureaucrats. Those rules provide all kinds of legal bases for those federal bureaucrats to sue, to say it was because of political retaliation, political retribution, political motivations of an elected president, or violating civil rights laws if there's disparate impact of people of one race or gender disproportionately being impacted. 
You can spend years in court. And I understand why Reagan or Trump couldn't see that through. But if we're serious now, the federal bureaucracy is bigger than it's ever been. It's going to take some level of extreme action. So by using randomness, the law of large numbers in our favor, we actually avoid the civil service rules altogether. And so, yes, I think that's what it's going to take, Sean, an executive coming from the outside who's been a CEO. I've been a CEO. I've built multi-billion dollar businesses. I know that if somebody works for you and you can't fire them, that means they don't work for you. It means you work for them because you're responsible for what they're doing without any authority to change it. But it's going to take somebody coming in from the outside as a CEO, but also somebody who understands the law and the Constitution and uses that in our favor to get this done. And so any candidate who steps up and says that is offering some sort of idea that isn't extreme, that means they're not going to get the job done because the task ahead of us is an extreme task. But don't you worry? So that's I mean, the kind I, of leader I, we need. I, I get that, but you are a businessman, right? You ran yes, a company, and 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 I thought to myself, okay, I get this. I am a huge fan of the ideas, the the thinking of how to just fundamentally reshape the size of government. It's way too bloated. Yeah. It's inefficient. I'm all for it. But my point is, is that when you take a, a scalpel like that and just go in and go, you don't know. Are you throwing out everybody who, who runs the data so, protection? So I'll address that. Okay. I'll address that, Sean. Because there's no way a company would have ever gotten to that state because companies aren't bound by civil service protections. Companies actually operate according to a budget. They can't just print money like the government does to make up for its proliferating cancer. So now we've gotten past the zone of what would ever exist in the private sector. It's what you call the law of large numbers. At the end of the day, I can, I can, I can give you with 100% clarity on day two, if on day one, we just have 50% of the federal employees, they're gone. On day two, not a thing is going to break. Not a thing will be different. It's not the job of the federal government to provide workforce opportunities. Those people can find honest work in the private sector. And that's just step one. After we use the chainsaw, it's a chisel from there. I think the top performers should be paid more than they are now. The bottom performers should be paid less. Many of those employees in Washington, D.C. should be spread across the country to other parts of the nation so they're more accountable to the people. I think that there should be eight-year term limits for most of those positions. There's an eight-year term limit for me as the next president. I think that's a good thing. Well, I think that, that eight-year term limit should also apply to the people who report into me. So that's just the first step of many changes. But the reality is, Sean, anybody who says that they're going to incrementally tinker around the edges is lying. Right. They're lying to themselves in many cases. They don't they may think that they're making a promise. It's a promise they can't keep, and it's why not a single Republican president for 40 years has gotten a darn thing done so, when it comes to reigning in the size of the federal bureaucracy. I, I understand So yes, that. it will take the law of large numbers working in our favor. 50% reduction, let's start with that on day one. Then you can get your arms around it. Then you bring the chisel after you start with the chainsaw. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's four 
patriots.com includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a, uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code Spicer, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. All right, so today, President Biden's finally sitting down with Xi Jinping. It's Xi Jinping's first visit to the U.S. in six years. If you were sitting in that chair, walk me through what the priorities of, that you would have on that list would be. Because right now, I don't think China takes us seriously. We keep thinking that somehow they care what we think, that they want to be a responsible stakeholder, blah, blah, blah. They're walking all over us economically and militarily. What is going to change if you were president? They think we're a joke is the answer. So what's going to change if I'm president is they're going to have to play by the same set of the rules or, or else they're going to actually be consequences. Hold them accountable for unleashing hell on the world with the COVID-19 pandemic. If you don't do that, you can expect far worse in the future. Tell China that we're not going to allow you to buy land in this country, to donate to universities in this country. We're not going to allow U.S. businesses to expand into the Chinese market unless and until China is playing by the same set of the rules. We'll kick you out of the WTO using every financial lever we have available, we're prepared to go the direction of onshoring to the United States and fill in the gaps with South Korea, Japan, India, Australia, Chile, other countries. That shows we're serious. And I don't think we've had that level of seriousness yet. And if we're really that serious about it, then Xi Jinping knows that that's gonna be worse for him than it is for us. And they will be playing by the same set of rules. But either way, we have to be willing to actually act. Right. That takes a president with a spine. Right now, I mean, that was a Chinese spy balloon flying over half the United States. If that were a Russian spy balloon, you want to know what we would have done? We'd have shot it down and ratcheted up sanctions. That's the truth. We have a Chinese spy base in Cuba spying on the eastern corridor of this country, probably where you and I are right now. Well, that's wrong. But we're not doing a thing about it because we're scared. Why are we scared? Because we depend on them. For the pharmaceuticals in our medicine cabinet, 95% of them, to the semiconductors, in, at least in Taiwan, that China wants to invade for our modern way of life to even our own military. Our F-35 jets, our industrial base depends on, you guessed it, parts coming from China. So we have to be prepared to say that we're not economically dependent on our adversary. They have to play by the set of same set of rules if they wanna benefit in the way they have from trade relationships they've had with the United States or even US expansionary relationships. That ends, unless they're playing by the same set of rules. On my watch, we'd be running circles around them rather than the other way around. Uh, last question for you, because I know your time is tight. You've spoken very fondly about President Trump, his tenure in office, the policies he's put forward. He's reciprocated by saying kind things about you and the campaign that you've run. If you came up short in your quest for the presidency and he asked you to serve as his vice president, would you accept? I, I want to say that I'm not a plan B person. I didn't get to where I am in life. I've taken on bureaucracies, I've succeeded, I've built multi-billion dollar businesses. I'm 38 and I'm now self-financing to run for president. I didn't get there by being a plan B person. But I have acknowledged at every step of the way that Donald Trump was an excellent president. And he was an excellent president. And the reason he's doing so well in the polls is he kept us out of wars and he grew the economy. Those are things that I aim to do on an even greater scale going forward. But I expect his support if I'm the nominee, and he will have more than my full support if he's the nominee. So is that a yes and the or answer an, is, a, would you accept the VP nominee? I, I'm not a plan B person, it's Sean. Not, it's just that my brain doesn't function that way, and, and I don't intend to start being, I, I wouldn't be me if I'm a plan B person. We set out to accomplish a goal. Our family and our heart is 100% in this. I expect I'll be the next president of the United States. We're ready to serve this country, and we will 
the next phase of our life isn't about me. I've done, I've done the capitalist thing. It's about creating that country and passing it on to our kids. And the best way I can do that is as the next president, but we're dedicated to this country and we will serve this country to the maximum. Okay, Vivek Ramaswamy, thanks for being with us. Stay safe on the campaign trail and I'll see you December 6th at that debate in Alabama. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I've started to get a little freaked out about all of these things that are going online with your privacy. And there's something that I didn't fully appreciate, but these internet service providers, they follow and track you and legally, legally can sell your information to advertisers. I didn't realize that. I mean, I, I, I guess I should have asked, but I have an ExpressVPN on my laptop here and you can put ExpressVPN on anything, laptop, uh, phone, whatever, right? And it protects you. It's like locking, pulling down the shade so that no one's looking in. It's like, uh, well, there's a bunch of different analogies we could give you. But you don't want people looking in at you and you don't want people following you online to know about where you are, what you're doing, your browsing history, gathering data and selling it off. That's what they're doing. So protect yourself. Um, ExpressVPN gives you that sense of security that you need. But it also does something cooler. And I talked about this as we were leading up to Halloween, which is it gives you access to a lot of cool stuff. For example, Netflix has a catalog in every country, which I didn't realize until I got ExpressVPN. What does that mean? It means that if you're watching Netflix in the US, you can see certain movies. If you're watching in Canada, Australia, whatever, you can watch other movies. And that's true with all of these streaming platforms, Disney Plus, et cetera, right? So when you have ExpressVPN, you can trick it and tell your computer that you're in another country. It gives you security, it gives you options, and so it ultimately saves you a ton of money because you take that Netflix account and magnify it so that you don't have to have maybe a ton of streaming services. You could have one and then just fake the computer into other countries and access the catalog of movies from those countries that may not be available here in the US. If you want to have both security and access all this stuff, go to expressvpn.com slash Spicer. You'll get three months free. So that's a sweet deal. Try it now. Get that sense of security. Protect your privacy. And also save a ton of money by being able to access uh, the ma- and maximize your streaming service, expressvpn.com Spicer for three months. All right, well, let's break down everything that we talked about with Tony Katz and Chris Segal. I'll start with you, Chris, and then I'll go to you, Tony. Uh, the interesting answer that I start, I started with that question about the path forward in Iowa, New Hampshire. I thought it was interesting that he admits that if he doesn't get in the top three, that's doomsday. I, I sort of was Pleasantly surprised that he leaned all the way in, Chris, that he yes. admitted. But uh, if you're, if you think about it, that means obviously Trump will win New Iowa, and then that means you have to beat either DeSantis or Haley. Yeah, and I know that Iowa's been a bit of a wild card in the past. If my memory serves, um, people like Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, and Rick Santorum have all done well in Iowa. So Mike I don't Huckabee. think he's crazy no. for suggesting he could do well in Iowa, right? You know that. No, no he's not crazy, but I think. The, the thing that I thought was interesting, and, and Tony, I'll turn to you, is that like, it, it's, it's show me like all the polls when, when have shown Nikki Haley uh, on the ascent. And I'm not saying that you, you can't, I mean, he, Chris is right, that you think about Santorum, you think about Huckabee, Ted Cruz, they all kind of made a strong ground game there. But this time, DeSantis and Trump have a very strong ground game. Uh, the, the DeSantis campaign claims they got 30,000 people committed to go to the caucus, Trump campaign over 50,000. I, I just, you don't hear them talking. If you're not going to talk about polls, talk about people committed to go to the caucus or something. But that, that was sort of the missing piece that I didn't hear. 
and and I think for for Vivek, he's hoping that somehow he can get the same level of of, of lift that Trump was able to get going back to 2016 without actually having a, a ground game. It was just the idea was so absolutely insane and everything was nuts. He didn't need it. And that is super rare stuff. You've done this long enough. You need that aggressive ground game. I have not heard anybody talk about it regarding uh, Vivek, and he absolutely needs a third-place finish to move on to New Hampshire. If he doesn't get it, it's not coming. And while I don't believe every poll in, in, in Iowa, I still have issues with Trump ahead by 30 points. I don't think that's really the, the, the case. I don't see where Vivek is actually doing better with the Iowa voter uh, than Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. I haven't seen proof of that at all. Right. Uh, Chris, the thing that I would agree with Tony on is that the, the thing that makes a caucus so unique is that, you, you know, and I, I went to the last ones and just watched this. It is, a, it is truly a sight to be seen. People spending hours on end moving from one side of a gymnasium or a school or a VFW hall, you know, as the process goes through the machinations. And, and that's a commitment. That's not a showing up to the poll, casting your vote and, and heading home for dinner. I think that, that uh, Tony's right that there is, there is a lot of potential for Haley or DeSantis to make this a lot closer. Yeah, I don't think Haley's a real thing. I refuse really? to believe that Haley's a real thing. Uh, I think DeSantis can make it a lot closer. And I will say that, you know, the typical- Why don't you think Haley's a real thing? I want to- Eh, eh, forget it. That's, uh, the media is trying to make her a thing uh, because she's a woman. And look, I think a woman uh, would be welcome, particularly in the middle of the abortion mess that we're having in the Republican Party. But- I don't think she's got the juice. I don't think she's even going to do that well. In Look, the I, I, I get, I agree with you that that the media is definitely kind of, and the and the establishment is now saying, "Hey, she's the perfect alternative." But I don't know that that's not a not a thing. I mean, I think that she might not pull it out. I uh, clearly, this is still Trump's game to win. But I don't. Yeah. I think that she is surging ahead of DeSantis. The thing about Iowa that's interesting to me is your establishment. If you want to say establishment, or your power players in Iowa, your Bob Vander Plaats great name to say, and Kim Reynolds, the governor, you know, they're all throwing in with DeSantis. And I will be very interested, you know, typically those kind of endorsements move the needle in Iowa. I don't know that it's going to this time. And I don't exactly know what that means. Maybe you do. I've been trying to figure out why um, kind of power brokers in Iowa don't seem to be, at least according to polls, moving people away from Trump. Yeah, Tony, uh, what do you, Tony, what do you think? Because I, I actually have been very intrigued I don't know. Normally, you're right. That would, those two people would move uh, some voters. And I think the difference here is that when you're talking about thousands of voters making a difference, even if Bob Vanderplatz is the head of the family leader there and Kim Reynolds, the incumbent governor, do move a few thousand, that could be a big number to, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of the totals. Yeah, uh, Chris is wrong about Nikki Haley. His personal disdain <laughs> uh, for the former ambassador is not a, uh, a uh, proof of where the voter is in Iowa. And remember, all she needs to do is show up. And if we want to talk about people who are dead in the water, John McCain was dead in the water in, in Iowa and in New Hampshire. And then he went to South Carolina, which is her home state. She actually has the opportunity to redeem. I'm not saying she should be the candidate. I'm saying she's got a path. Her path right now seems a little bit easier th than, than Ron DeSantis is. But I think Sean's making 
the right point here. People think of this as everybody's going to show up and pull a lever. No, this is about people committing to an afternoon of just getting smacked around. This is a different kind of person. This is a different kind of, of, of test and being able to pull out and work the ground game to actually pull those people out who will commit to you. That is everything. It's much different than how the rest of the country works. And, and that is why one of the reasons I'm not, I don't know if I buy, I shouldn't say I don't know. I don't buy the polling. I get that Trump's ahead. I don't deny that those polls exist, but the idea that that's the only way Iowa is going to go. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, I'll buy you I don't both buy that. Dinner if Nikki Haley finishes in the top three. Oh, Wait. I, yeah. Um, it, but just so we're clear, I want the, like the good stuff. We're talking Capitol Grill. Uh, yeah, no Ponderosa. Lay yeah. out here. Where do you think she finishes? Oh, I think it's definitely in the top three. I do too. I actually top think two? that, hold on, let's keep this going for a second. I think that there's, I'm not, I will say top three unequivocally. Do you take the bet? Um, top three is probably broad enough to say, I think that's right. I would, I don't oh, take that. Oh, hold on. I can't see you walking back from here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, top three, I could that's take. That's You're the one who threw it out. Wait, top wait, wait. Three, you talking? You started this. You, you guys are talking. You're saying she's going to unseat DeSantis, and I say there's no way, no way she unseats DeSantis. I think what's getting said here is that we all are saying that Vivek is not going to get in the top three. Yeah. Now we go back to to Sean's interview. That means he's out. Did he? Did, did you feel Sean that like he was letting you know that he knows that in Iowa writing's on the wall? I think he was trying to calibrate expectations. You can't say after Tim Scott dropped out, I'm going to finish in the top four. Asa Hutchinson, I've got your number. Uh, I mean, that that really, that's like you're showing up fourth in a four-person. He had to say, he had to show that he could beat one of the front runners, i.e. Haley or DeSantis. And that was why I think he chose three as his number. Uh, but you heard when I went back at him and I said, so I just want to make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth. He said, well, one of the two states. He gave himself some wiggle room to play on to New Hampshire. Right. He I did. Yeah. Chris Christie is too, right? Well, Chris Christie's not running in Iowa. So he that's that's a gimme. I don't even know well, that he's on the ballot. New Hampshire, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's all in in New Hampshire. But I think that that, look, I, I don't really care. At some point, if you actually don't finish in the top three considering this race, I think the race right now comes down to does someone get within striking distance of Donald Trump? And I striking distance to me is 10 points. If they don't, I think this is where I've said all along, Trump's going to start to steamroll all this and it's over. So Trump takes Iowa by 10 points minimum more against anybody. And you say it's uh, Katie bar the door. It's over. I think that it's a hard case to make uh, going into New Hampshire. Uh, and that's, again, I'm not saying that nothing can happen, but right now, part of this is the dynamic. I think that the Nikki Haley surging, if Nikki wins over DeSantis in Iowa, gets second place, I think she fights to, she lives to fight another day. And then if she got second in New Hampshire, to Tony's point, she's going into South Carolina, she'd have a strong case there to make. I think that she at least gets us through, but she, one of those two, she has to run the table in second place. Uh, to show that she is the alternative to Donald Trump. But if Trump wins 15 to 20 points in Iowa, it's Katie Barr. It's over. You can't question. I, this is what I don't understand. I, I don't. Why would Nikki Haley surge past DeSantis? Like if you're going to vote for a governor, why wouldn't it be DeSantis if you're a Republican voter? Where's the storyline that Nikki I, Haley? I think the storyline, at least, at least as far as I can tell, is people want to be with winners. 
At the end of the day, no one wants to go out and spend their day with a loser. They don't want to give money to a loser. They don't want to put up a sign to a loser. And everything that you've seen about DeSantis, right or wrong, I'm not, I'm just saying, shows him a tritting. It's, you know, here's him falling behind. Here's the money problems. Here's the campaign problem. Here's how many Florida legislators uh, flipped to Trump from DeSantis. He's not having, he's not winning the day in the message category. And I think for a no. lot of voters, they're going, gosh, do I really want to stand there all day for a guy that I don't think is going to win? Right or wrong, that I mean, that's how I answer your question. And I and I I, I get your point, uh, Chris. And and if we take a look at the actions of Ron DeSantis, the actual deeds, it's incredibly solid. That resume is deep and effective and powerful and right. dynamic. And then Ron DeSantis opens his mouth, and then you're like, oh no. And and that and that's that's where we're at. But somehow when Nikki Haley opens her mouth, people see this concept of fighter. Now, to, to both of your points, is this a media machination, a media creation, or is this how the suburban soccer mom and others really see her? I tend to think it's a little bit more uh, of, of the latter, although I'll never deny what media does. But I think that uh, in, in a world that actually wants people who think like them or I should say care about people like them and, and show all this this lovey-dovey kind of stuff, uh, Nikki Haley hits more of that than Ron DeSantis. But when it comes to resume, uh, DeSantis, yeah. would, for me, would be the clear choice. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, look at over the last, what, five years, six years, DeSantis has actually, as a conservative, nailed it. He's been yep. strong on the Second Amendment. He's been strong on life. He was strong on COVID. He's been strong on education. He's been strong on woke culture. Nikki Haley doesn't have any of that as governor. I mean, just, I mean, the timing wasn't there. I'm not hitting you know, it. I will say, though, about, about the abortion issue, as I mentioned, um, I, just to be perfectly honest, as a craven political matter, She's very helpful. She's the only one oh, that is nailed. No, but that gets back to the media creation. Yep. They actually like that. Look, yep. and I'm not I'm not hitting her. I think that she has a better story to tell right now, uh, better talking points and better messaging. But I'm with Tony. I think that DeSantis's record in Florida is amazing. And I think he's oh, a yeah. great governor. That if, it, if this was any other race, if Donald Trump wasn't in the race, I don't know that we'd be having this conversation. I don't know, because he still can't actually campaign well. And I don't want the whole DeSantis team coming down on me. Facts are facts. He cannot present it well. He's gotten better in the last two debates compared to the first one where he spent a lot of time screaming. But it's just not this natural flow. Right. Right, it's not the natural like well, animal they're, they're, magnetism they're, they're, that Chris DeGaul puts out into the world. If you think it's about very, it, if you think uh, about contorted. it, they're the opposite. Nikki has a great talking point. She's she messages very well. DeSantis has the record. It's almost like he should write her talking points uh, and and let her say what you know say that she was the governor of Florida. Haley's uh, one problem, as you both understand, the, the 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 fever in the Republican Party right now is is one that says I'm done with conflict. I'm done with uh, foreign wars. And Nikki is a very pro foreign war kind of lady. And I think that's what a lot of base Republican voters reading her that is a problem for her. While I compliment her on abortion, I think the, the war stance, the war footing thing, 
I think there's a lot that are very mistrustful of that. So, so let me let me kind of keep going with the interview for a second that we had with Vivek just a minute ago because I, I got into him about the RNC. He he went after Ronna McDaniel right out of the gate at that debate, right? Kristen Welker and and, and Ronna and I I as I I framed the question to him the way I did because he's been so focused on policy issues that's kind of been I think his strength, and it was like he almost made it a personality. Uh, attack this time. He went after Welker, he went after Rana, and then he went after Nikki Haley as well. And I, I sort of felt like I wanted to see if this was a shift in strategy because I didn't really understand how many voters, when you ask people, are you going out to vote? What's the issue that's concerning you? What could a candidate do to earn your vote? How many of them say, I really want you to beat up on the national party? And I, I get that that's easy, right? But the question is, does it actually grow your vote? And that's what I didn't understand, Tony. Uh, it, I don't have a good answer for you as about whether it actually grows your vote. But if you're Vivek and you very much want to attract that pro-Trump guy, this is this is a fine move uh, to make. And and I would say as clear as day, regardless of any friendships anybody has here amongst the three of us, I think Rona McDaniel. Uh, has to go. Uh, she, this this is not a job well done. This is a job not even done. And the Republican Party should demand winning, and it should demand somebody who, if in three major elections, cannot provide it, is gone. A new person comes in. If I'm Vivek, I give it a go because I don't think it hurts me with anybody. Now, does it grow anything? That's a, that's a solid question, which I don't actually have a good answer for. Right, and Chris, right. I mean, I think the point here. I think Tony's right. It may not. It probably endears you to some folks, but at the end of the day, politics and winning a nomination is about growing. I mean, he's at 5% nationally, 5% in Iowa. I would want to figure out how to grow that vote. And I go, okay, maybe people agree with you, but they're not, you're not getting new people on your side necessarily. Yeah, and I will say sometimes just having his message is useful for the dialogue. I said after his debate performance, he brought up two things that frankly, the rest of the field just won't. They will not bring up the fact that in Pennsylvania, we've had two election cycles where hundreds of thousands of Democrat ballots are, are uh, harvested, if you want, or mailed in early before Republicans. Um, Pennsylvania is getting drowned in these pre-election day uh, balloting by the Democrats. That's number one. And I don't think Rana has figured that out. And I know that's a state thing, too. But I don't think Rana has figured that out structurally for all Republicans as a, as a pressing matter. But two... Who's the Republican that has taken the media to task sincerely like he did and reminding everybody that twice now they have straight lied to the American voter and and truly rigged an election, keeping Americans in the dark right. about real information? I, I liked seeing that fight in a guy. I was just happy to see a pulse. Somebody's angry. I, you should be angry at that. And he was. That was interesting. Yeah, I I think that like uh, don't get me started on the idea that that it was the RNC that sanctioned a debate with NBC. And you wonder. I, I thought Hugh Hewitt's questions were great. Hugh talked about issues of national security, of immigration. That's where I think a lot of people wanted to hear from the candidates. I actually learned a lot from his questions. Uh, but I, so I get that, and I think Vivek coming out. But I thought the timing, meaning that he came right out of the gate, and it was like boom, boom, boom. I'm gonna whack you. I just it was a it was a change in strategy, at least the way I perceived how he's handled himself. And that was what I thought was interesting. Um, I, I do like 
I was intrigued by his answer on China. He's been very outspoken and tough on China. I will say I was upset that I didn't ask him I, just because of the timing. It was next on my list. I really wanted to get to the TikTok question because I do have a problem with that. I, I don't understand how you can say that China poses an existential threat to our military and our, our national security, our economic security. This app that they're infecting our children with, particularly, is allowing them to collect data, to manipulate their minds, and yet I'm going to go on it because I need to reach them. I, I don't, I'm sorry, that's that's like saying, you know, it just, you have to be the example for them. I, that was one of the questions I wish I had gotten to him with, Tony. Uh, I, I get his point. This is where voters are. I want to talk to these voters. Let me talk to them. Uh, wh where they're at. Uh, the larger conversation regarding uh, uh, TikTok is whether or not we're going to admit very, very publicly that China is the enemy. And are we in a position prepared to do it when we talk about the other things Vivek will bring up, uh, as many of us bring up, uh, manufacturing of, of uh, drugs. They don't design drugs, they manufacture drugs. Uh, and a whole series of other things. Are we prepared to deal with these shortfalls and with these shortages, these issues, if we are to say, you know, China is the enemy of free and thinking people. We don't allow the Communist Chinese Party to have access to our children. Just like something I do agree with Vivek on, and I've been saying for a, a while as well, you don't let the Communist Chinese Party own land yes. in the United States, and good for Green Charter uh, Michigan, good for the people, I think it's Grand Forks, North Dakota, who yep. said no to, uh, to, to Chinese buys. These are, are, are very smart and valuable things, but it involves a national conversation of, these people are the enemy. And if they're the enemy, this communist Chinese party, we have to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm sorry, a lot of people who are making a living right now aren't going to be able to. That's where I find myself coming into, like, in, in, into conflict. Preach, brother, preach. This is, at some point, we've got to stop pretending that they're our friend or that they care what we think or that they care what the rest of the world thinks. The idea that Biden was sitting down today and saying, we're going to come to an agreement on fentanyl. They're going to stop. They've got to stop. Do you not? You think they don't know what they're sending us? It's like, oh, well, thanks, Joe Biden. Biden. I'm glad you told us. I have us. to remind folks, I'm sure I don't you guys, we had an eight-day spy balloon incident. Uh, that That's not a small... I've never gotten over the fact that for eight days, a chi Chinese surveillance vessel hovered over the country. Wait, but, but no, no, that's can I just say this? The, 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 best part, the, the best part of that story is that when we finally shot it down, they got mad at us. They were yes. like, how dare you shoot down our spy balloon? That's our property. And then they wouldn't meet with our people. Do you realize that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the new chairman that came in, still hasn't been able to get them to return their call? This is how bad things have gotten under the Biden administration. Before I go, because time is tight right now, I want to get you guys a 30-second take on the last thing I brought up with Vivek. I asked him twice whether he would be willing to accept a VP spot on the Trump ticket if asked. He demurred, saying he's not a Plan B guy. I respect the answer. Chris Stigall, do you think that that was the, real, the true answer? Oh, he'd take it in a hot second if he was offered. I'm sure he'd love it. Maybe he's auditioning for it. But uh, yeah, he, if, he, if he doesn't want it, he'll take it if offered. I don't know if Trump would. I don't know. I think Trump's committed to having a woman on the ticket. But Tony Katz, do you think that he would take it if offered? Uh, absolutely. And just for clarity, I've already accepted the VP offer from whoever should give it to me. Well, I, I'm with you. I actually went up to New Hampshire for an event, the First Nation Summit, and I made it very clear. No one has declared for vice president yet. I'm throwing my hat in the ring and I'm accepting the nomination right now. But the thing is, here's the one thing that I will tell you about Vivek as vice president. I could see him in a cabinet and as a commerce secretary 
or a treasury secretary potentially. But Trump does not want somebody and who's going to outshine him. Infovake's very good on television. He's very energetic. I think that there's a reason he chose a guy like Mike Pence. Mike Pence understood the role, which is to be the loyal number two that allows the spotlight to go to number one. And Vivek, by nature, is an energetic kind of guy that that I don't know could play the number two role. I think he'd be a, a, a potential cabinet pick. I don't see him as, as the VP. If you um, believe he'll pick a woman, you would say Carrie Lake would be the kind of person that might outshine Trump because of her personality. Yeah, but I don't think Carrie Lake will. That's why Carrie Lake's running for the Senate. I still believe, despite some personal issues, uh, I think that, that Christy Noem is probably high on that list. And I think Sarah Sanders is very high on that list. Two mm. people who understand what it's like to be around President Trump, to play that role, who have executive experience, who would be taken seriously by the national media. Carrie Lake, for all of her, every, I mean, I, she was a TV uh, anchor, right? I think right. that you can love Carrie Lake all you want. She's running for the United States Senate. A term in, we'd be having a discussion. But to say that you've never held political office before, a vice president serves a role to a president, and I don't know what that is. I mean, you've got to be able to say they're ready day one to step into the role. I, I just don't know that that's there with Carrie. I think that's why she's running for the Senate. She'll have the experience when it goes down. Gentlemen, unfortunately, though, I am out of time. I appreciate you being with us. Um, I love this episode. This is one of my favorites so far between Vivek and then I feel like uh, this was the political version of Sunday, Sunday, like, get ready for the football games. We did all the analysis. We did the X and O's. So thank you all for being with us. We'll be back here tomorrow on Wednesday to break down everything that's going on, especially with the government shutdown. Remember to subscribe. Uh, give us a five-star on Apple. Go to YouTube. Hit that notification button. Rumble. All the rest. We'll see you back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.